So do you go by Shane or Larry? Because your channel on Twitch is Leaping Larry. I guess recently I mostly go by Larry online. Okay. So those that are listening, we have Larry <laughs> from Leaping Larry on Twitch. Also, Duce, uh, is it Duce Gang, right? Yeah. On uh, Twitter. You want, you want to introduce yourself? Probably most well-known is Juje Gang on most of my platforms. Uh, I was Juje Gang on my YouTube channel and on Facebook. And yeah, I uh, ran a little channel also, Comrade Stalin, Socialist School Host, and help out a little bit over at Iskra Books and a couple other places as well. No, thank you. Today we're going to talk about Juche. Do so. I think I'll say some stuff before um, we continue. So I came about this when I was talking to Victor Red Falcon, and I told him that um, settler, settler Marxist. Are very or too dogmatic. This was a while back, right? Like like a year yeah. or two ago, and um, I said that we need to create an ideology for the content, like a Marxist ideology uh, that you know is not because you know whenever people say, "Oh, I'm a Marxist," they will automatically think like Western Marxism. I think that's problematic, right? Yeah. Um, so. He gave me like a heads up about Juche and your channel, and I actually watched all your stuff on 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 YouTube, right? And I picked up some Juche books. And one of them is the I have right here, I think, um, Socialist Education in Korea, right? I have uh, yeah, it's essential Juche works, and I have another one. I can't, I don't know where it's at. Uh, and I got also yeah, some PDFs too. The essential Juche works is one I don't recommend to people. Why? Because it has it has some stuff in it that's not necessarily um, from DPRK, I've noticed. Oh, okay. So um, wh where I was going with this is like, um, is that I, I was like, well, this is like next level Marxism <laughs> because it's like it actually talks about the contradictions within um, their own, you know, um, territory. And I was like, we need like a decolonial version of Juche here. Yeah, and and I would say, I would say not only that. Like another reason why Juche spoke to me very early on is because, it, in the same way that Marx um, was, you know, critiquing Kant and Hegel and these other philosophers that came before him, these other thinkers, Juche critiques Marx and Lenin. You know. Like it looks at their works and critiques the historical limitations and the misinterpretations that are able to emerge uh, and among other things as well, like the historical conditions they were working and living in. So it's sort of like by critiquing Marx and Lenin, it also works to further overcome those leftovers, those inheritance of bourgeois uh, ideologies or bourgeois philosophies that were left over, like from Kant and Hegel within Marxism itself. Yeah. And I think, you know, whenever I think me, you, uh, you know, Lance, you know, Flat Fanon, Derek, uh, Victor, uh, Bands of Turtle Islands, 
uh, we all like are critiquing the Eurocentric narratives within, you know, Marxism. And I think that's what a lot of people are coming, they're starting to notice it. <laughs> what we're saying is true. But, I, you know, like, I I feel like at the same time, you know, Juche does it, but at the same time, people, I don't know if you saw that comment, it was yesterday, somebody was like, oh, I want to hear, but Juche is revisionist. It was under a post. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? Right? Yeah, in, resp- in response to what you said, or whatever, yeah. or in response to you saying I was going to come on and talk about Juche, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, I, I was wondering if you saw that, I was going to ask you. Um, yeah, yeah, I believe Juche is revisionist as hell. <laughs> yeah. But Juche Gang is the least revisionist Juche enjoyer out of every Juche fan I met. Like, it's a fan. It's a fan. Yeah. yeah. There's so much. There's so much to unpack with that. So right here, I have some quotes, and I want to read. You know, and I quote: "This is from Socialist Education in Korea." So, and I quote: "Does your ideological work suffer from dogmatism and formalism?" Question mark. And why does your propagandist and agitators fail to go deeply into matters? Only in embellishing the facade and why do they merely copy and memorize foreign things instead of working creatively uh this offers us food for serious reflection end quote to me this is you know the same shit we were we we were saying you know how people memorize foreign things they they you know look into the you know soviet union or china's you know um, they want to like copy China's uh, style. This is what I think. This is why they also become like transphobic or homophobic, right? Because they're like, oh, Russia has like these anti-LGBT laws, and this is like uh, the LaRouche, LaRouche people actually. Yeah, there's they'll, yeah. they'll even cite works like from the past and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, be like, this is what Stalin said in a letter to a, a homosexual comrade. Mm-hmm. Do you want to like, go, but? Do, Go, go ahead sorry it's like but that's i mean that's not first of all that as we know like that's not the theory itself right that's the opinion mm-hmm. of a guy who was living in whatever era he was living in mm-hmm. right it's not something in inherent to marxism leninism itself but like you're saying because because in the west what you end up what happens i think with a lot of settlers is and actually with what this person is doing right here is instead of treating these theories like something we stutter study in order to better inform our own struggle and the development of our own theory and philosophy, instead they treat it as some sort of identity, right? Yeah. And they see it as like, it, so if your Marxism deviates too much from the classics or from what Lenin or Stalin said in their mind, then it's revisionist, right? It's been revised. Should we go back? I think we should go back in history, right? Because most people don't realize that Korea was colonized by the Japanese, right? And they tried to have their liberation movement uh, after World War II. Am I correct? Yeah, I mean, they they really fought against Japan, you know, as soon as the occupation, of course, occurred. There was different factions fighting in different ways, right, against this colonialism. And, I mean, even before Japan um, engaged in imperial occupation of Korea, it had been fighting off 
want to be occupiers, right, for many years prior to that, including the U.S., who had tried to land there and open it up to market several times, like with the USS Sherman. Yeah. So, um, can you talk about Kim Il-sung and um, that history? Do you, know, do you know that history? or? I know a little bit of it. Okay. See, and here, here's where I differ a little bit from, I think, like a Korea boo. Okay. Okay. I know, I know pretty well, I know like the, the you know, the main points of, of Korean history. Like I know Kim Il-sung um, really took his idea for Juche from his dad's philosophy, which was called aim high and Marxism, Leninism itself. Right. So Juche is not, is also founded, not in just in Marxism, Leninism, not just grounded by that, but in like, revolutionary anti-colonial traditions that were already rooted in Korea in the struggle against these powers that were constantly trying to use it for their own gain, right? Or try to mm -hmm. open it up to markets. And when did Juche come about? So really, I mean, it emerges, I would say it emerges through the whole course of this, like the 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 uh, the struggle of them applying Marxism Leninism like trying to create you know a new Marxist Leninist theory for their conditions is where Juche comes from, and it comes from the struggle um, fighting against like like what we have to realize when we're trying to carry on Marxism Leninism what we're trying to carry on is not carbon copy all the existing theories and proposals and solutions mm -hmm. and stuff. What we're trying to carry forward is that revolutionary essence of Marxism, which is the liberation of all oppression by human, right? Of human by human. Like that, that's the core of Marxism. And Juche basically realizing this uh, develops to try and defend this core of Marxism from deviations to the right or to the ultra left. And through the course of that, it develops its own uh entirely original philosophy because the important thing to remember with Juche also is that it's not just a development of Marxism Leninism in fact it's not a development of Marxism Leninism at all it's its own revolutionary philosophy right and it it takes dialectical materialism as the premise as in no recognizing that this is true but it's it formulates its own policies its own lines and it takes a different um, what we call the principal question of philosophy because Korea had a very quickly developing revolution. Um, it was able to reach a stage where private property and capitalists were abolished internally to a degree that has not been seen in any other country. So a part of what Juche was also was we need to understand how we are then going to develop in the new conditions that arise under socialism, because Marxism Leninism had nothing to say at all about socialism other than some very limited predictions. Mm -hmm. So it's like a multitude of things that have that lead to the rise of Juche, right? And I would even say, like, if you go and read Chico Vera, Socialism and Man in Cuba, or you read Kwame Nkrumah talk about neocolonialism in, in Africa, what you'll find is they are coming to a lot of the same, so the, the same conclusions that Juche does. The difference that Juche does is that it put it into a, 
and a revolutionary like philosophy, a universal philosophy that we can use like we could with Marxism before it as a guide to action to understand our own conditions and formulate new theory that I would say is even more accurate because it's again, it overcomes these leftover European ideas that were in Marxism, Leninism, right, or able to be misinterpreted through Marxism, Leninism at, at best. So I'm trying to find a quote and I can't find it. In, in one of these books, it says like um, that Juche is obviously because of the, you know, their um, local conditions, you know, uh, and that it can't be applied anywhere but in Korea, right? Which I agree, right? So, and people, people, I think people, when you ask them if you agree with something like the Juche, like they're like, oh, so does that mean you want to implement Juche here? I'm like, no. Like, I, see, I mean, this is the, and this, but see, this is where we get, this is where things get muddy, right? <laughs> because what, what they're saying, what they were saying is, I, I know the quote you're talking about, and he wasn't saying about applying Juche, right? He's saying about what revolution are we waging? Are we waging the, the USSR revolution or are we rage, waging the Korean revolution? Right? Oh, no, this was something that, not online. This was somebody, somebody, something that somebody asked in person. Right. Oh, do you you think Juche can be applied here? And I was like, no, like I I read it and I was like, there's no way because I mean, like, OK, I think, so I think like that, wait, I do want to finish my statement. I, I, I don't think that person knew maybe what they were asking. So I was thinking like I, I told them I was like, but I do think that we need to create our own Juche, right, our own version, our own you know, like, you know, kind of like what they did, you know, for for revolutionary theory here on this continent. Because I really do feel, we'll get into this later, that there's a lot of dogmatism and Eurocentricism within Marxists here. But go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, no. I was just going to say that, like, I think what that person is doing is mis- um, mislabeling or i guess miss what 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 do we call it misdefining what it means to apply juche right mm -hmm. applying juche doesn't mean to take the works of kim il-sung kim jong-il and apply what they said to here right applying juche literally means that you don't follow the existing theories or formula like whether it's juche or whether it's marxism leninism and that you the only criteria for your struggle is your own subjective and objective conditions and you formulate your theory and your lines based on solely that that you can use these other experiences as a guide to action and to inform yourself of things that already happen but to apply juche means that you are studying your own conditions and you are a, you are creating revolutionary theory that pertain to your own subjective and objective conditions. That's what it means to apply Juche. And the reason I think it's important that we understand this and, and that I make that clear is because like the big criticism that DPRK has of USSR, for example, of why it was um, why it was able to be overthrown or dissolved or whatever you want to call it, right? The mm. reason why USSR uh, failed to defend itself was because it failed to establish Juche. And what it ended up doing was basically treating the existing Marxism-Leninism like a catechism and doling this out to people who were living in a socialist system that 
Marxism, Leninism no longer describe their conditions. It no longer had the same relevancy it did in the fight against capitalism proper, right? Now they were in a, in a situation where the proletariat has state power. And mm. this is what led, in, in many cases, the, the people, unfortunately, to lack uh, ideological education. And then this led them to being like, to having disillusions about capitalism and thinking that they could, you know, bring in the capitalist system and still keep the socialist aspects and so on and so forth. Basically getting a flowery idea about capitalism because they failed to develop a new theory that wasn't just based on the, you know, the change in the material conditions. They failed to explain certain things like the need to focus on ideological struggle. When do you think that's that kind of like rupture rupture happened within the Soviet Union? What time period do you think, in your opinion? I mean, it's it it really the mistakes were right there at the very beginning, I would say. Right. And with any socialist project, you're, of course, going to have the hangovers of capitalism there. Right. Mm -hmm. And what you have when you uh, when you achieve socialism is you then have to overcome. You have to fight against all these old capitalist methods of organization and politics and so like bureaucracy is the big one. And what the USSR did was it, it kind of got stuck in this bureaucracy and it never sort of developed uh, what we call the mass line. It never developed like uh, Juche elucidates about three revolutions, the ideological, the cultural and the technological. So it failed to sort of recognize these very important questions that needed to be solved. And another one of them is the failure to respect the independent development of each of the republics. And that was also on the fault of the republics themselves as well, right? Where if the USSR or the Communist Party, the Soviet Union dictated a line or passed a policy, it was a tendency that all the other parties in in the USSR and that union would follow suit and basically apply the same policy. And this is another thing that I think allowed the imperialists to play on this false nationalism, right? And anti-Russia sentiment, which they use for breaking up the USSR. Whereas if people had been keenly aware that each of their republics is developing independently in their own socialist system, they never would have been fooled by that sort of thing. So the problems were always there. The reason why during Lenin and Stalin's time, it didn't seem like such a big deal or didn't seem like such a huge problem was because you had at this time, the masses very enthusiastic about socialism, very enthusiastic about their struggle. And they were very strongly united behind Lenin and Stalin. And so they were following the party's policies pretty much voluntarily. So the bureaucracy couldn't really get in their way at this point. Now, what you have when a, a change of generations and you have people who no longer lived through that revolutionary rupture, right? Now they've lived and they have, they've had their, their uh, needs provided for them by the state and everything else. And they are lacking this ideological education. So it allowed, what, it, what ends up happening is they're no longer following with that enthusiasm, the revolutionary policy of the party well, the party itself is trying to fall over itself to figure out how it actually makes the party policy the official, you know, the, the state policy, basically. Mm -hmm. And it does this by getting more and more entrenched in bureaucracy instead of, like I just mentioned, 
developing something like a mass line. Hmm. I, you know, like you mentioned earlier that, you know, Juche um, studies its own conditions, which I really imagine, I would have imagined that all Marxists should have done, should do, right? And so when, when people, when you bring up these things that we talk about and people fight back, I'm just like, what are you really studying other than just old ass communist books? <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? Like, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, that's why I think, you know, many settlers, to be frank, need Duce to literally tell them, do not copy the existing, like they need that, right? Because they can read Marx and Lenin and stuff and, and hear it in that. And they just, they don't seem to get it, right? So the socialist education in Korea, were you part of the making of this? Was that you or was that somebody else? Or um, that was Iskra Books, but I didn't I didn't have much a hand in editing okay. that one, no. Okay. I think somebody told me, you know, put me in contact and I was like, okay, of the person that, uh, but... <laughs> You know, this is what, but, you know, going back to, you know, what, what the theory that we need on this continent, I think I keep harping the same thing over and over. And I'm quite frankly, you know, very tired of saying it, you know, uh, that we got to study, you know, the history of Southern colonization, uh, Native sovereignty, uh, Black history, uh, Native law history. That itself is a lot, right? Um, <clears throat> to address, you know, liberation theory here, and it can't just be, oh, I read Lenin, imperialism, and that's it. You know, or oh, I read Lenin's What to Be Done, and that's it. It seems, seems like sellers just read the classics. Like, like you said on your stream, they just read the classics, right? And when I ask them, or oh, have you read, you know, this native author or that black author, they haven't. I'm just like, what's going on here? Like, you know, and I feel like they they're just like, or they would ask, like, are they Marxist? And I think to myself, why the fuck does that matter? They're addressing the contradictions, right? So I think, you know, settlers then, you know, you know, just try to be purist themselves. So when we bring up, you know, settler colonization, all these things, just like, you know, uh, we always do, but but then they'll say, Oh, we're the purest fetish. And Midwestern Marx recently came out with that book, like purest fetishism or whatever. But what they're doing is actively releasing a book to dismiss their contradictions, to, to continue to brainwash people, to continue with their colonial bias, I think. And that's fucking dangerous because that's white supremacy. Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, honestly, these these are the same people who would say, I'm not saying this, the comment was, but they're the same people who will say that what we saw in that comment, that I believe Juche is revisionist, therefore essentially not worth studying, right? And mm. and like you're saying, we see that right now towards, like you say, if you tell someone to read Horn or read Plants or, or read Fanon or read whoever, right? They'll say, well, that person's not a Marxist. You, you know, read Glenshaw Cool Third and they'll say, well, are they a Marxist-Leninist? And that's what one reason why I sort of dropped the whole label. And I think that some people, when they refer to DPRK being revisionist, that's literally what they're talking about, right? They're talking about that 
DPRK doesn't have doesn't use Marxism Leninism as you know a means to they they don't use that anymore. They say they're Kim Il Sungist, Kim Jong Ilist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they use that and saying that there's like no portraits of Marx and stuff, and that they've created a new original philosophy as as a means to say, yeah, no, they're revisionist. Which, have, by the way, le- leaves out what revisionism actually is, which, you know, revisionism has a very specific meaning. And it really is a type of opportunism that means to emasculate the revolutionary essence of like our theories or of our philosophies in order to appease imperialists. And what I would say is like when you when you're using Marxism, Leninism in that dogmatic way, you are the one doing the revision. You know, you're doing the revisionism. Because you're emasculating the revolutionary essence of Marx and Engels and all these revolutionaries who came before to then to say, oh, these people who are developing relevant theory for their own conditions or this place is is revisionist because they don't have enough pictures of Marx or Lenin or they don't have Marxism, Leninism in their constitution. You know, I, I just had this conversation last night um, with a comrade. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to name him. But I, I told him, I told him I was like, it's to the point where, where you know he brought up actually that uh, that settlers we, you you did too earlier that they will use Marxist Leninist as an identity, right? And it's almost to a point where I don't want to like label myself as that because whenever I say a Marxist or even like a decolonial Marxist, like they will think that I believe. The stuff they believe with the colonial biases yep and that, honestly and, that's why i stopped yeah so in, this is why i'm just like should i even like and i thought this is something i fought myself with like way before the podcast especially dealing with like when i talk about all the racism i i dealt with in the in these orgs i was like is this marxism because this is like fucked you know and um but now I, I, I'm revisiting that question again, like recently. And I'm just like, this is why I told, you know, Red Falcon and Derek, like we need our own ideology. And I think, I think you know, that's just why I'm writing the book too. I'm writing the book, my second book. Not, not the one that's coming out in, in, in a week, but the other one. And I was just like, I, I have to, we have to write, we have to create something brand new, like brand, brand new. And that has... You know, the uses of the, t- the tools, uh, um, dialectical materialism, you know, as tools. But um, I just feel like it's, for me, like, it, so I, I decided to say, you know, decolonial Marxist. But I feel like that wasn't specific enough for settlers, right? And... I still use it, you know, to let them know that there's a, you know, it, it's advancing Marxism. You know, so how do I say this? I, I, it is advancing Marxism, but it's like the colonial theory is advancing Marxism in a way, to, you know, to address our contradictions. So I hope when when people read that I'm a decolonial Marxist, that's what I means, right? But it's not in the sense with the Marxists where I agree with your colonial biases. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why personally, I, I went through this question with myself for a long time. And 
I mean, not all that long ago, I, I started calling myself a communist instead, just communist. I and, I I feel like that even that's even more vague than than. I mean, Marxist, it is it know? is vague, but the the thing about that is it makes it so that no matter what position they're in, whether they're whether they're Marxist Leninist or an anarchist or whatever, it makes it so that they need to ask me what my position is, right? So mm -hmm. this I find with this way, it's like there's no longer this putting me in the box unless they're an outright reactionary and they think communists are just like the devil hungering for power. And then I don't even fucking care. Right. I don't care to address those people so much, but what it, but just the label communist itself, a lot of people will say, you know, if they're not completely reactionary, they'll say, what does that mean? Or if it's a Marxist Leninist or an anarchist, they want to know what, okay. So then what does that mean? What, what type of communist are you? And I can just explain, like, this is my position, you know, this is what I think. And if, and hey, whenever we have a relevant theory here for Mi'kmaq Chi, I'll call myself, you know, whatever that theorist, whatever that ideology is called, that's what I'll call <laughs> myself when that happens, right? Yeah. Until then, I'll just be a communist and I can tell you my position, which is land back, it, you know, which means, of course, the land back that precedes the revolution that means land back everywhere you know without exception the conversation yeah yeah like i can easily explain these positions right and i find that with using the word communist it sort of invites them more to do that instead of just being like okay he's a marxist decolonial marxist he he goes into this box you know so i don't need to ask him any further questions yeah i feel like that's what happens with people with me so these are so questions. For me, it's just a way to fight back <laughs> against them putting them using it as an identity. Yeah. As I say, settlers love to use it as an identity. It's just yeah. a way to fight back against them using it as an identity for me. Because they see communists and no and any actual like Marxist Leninist or any communist knows that they need more details than that, right? So they then they ask. I feel I think like that works better. And we I think maybe we should I, I should get into, into a little bit more because when we when we have sellers that use it for an identity, this label Marxist Leninist, that they're using, they're trying to use it as a method of what's uh, from the article decolonization, not a metaphor, a seller move to innocence, right? They will like put on that label and they say, I'm no longer an oppressor, right? But it doesn't dissolve your position in colonial society, you're still settler. And you know. oftentimes, you know, not only will they say I'm I'm not a settler, but they'll say like I'm a revolutionary now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Without putting in any work or doing anything at all, like Wait, they somebody, read, they've done some reading. Somebody made that shit. I, I made I made a post yesterday or the day before about how the indigenous nations are the protagonists and settlers are the antagonists, and somebody made a comment under saying that. The proletariat or the protagonist and then i made a comment how can sellers even though settlers are or or, or, or or proletariats they're still they're still antagonists they're still a settler right so it doesn't matter yeah. if you don the the fucking title of proletariat on your fucking you know on yourself you're still a seller dude like you're still a fucking and this is something that people don't understand it's like they these settlers like, like I said, like five minutes ago, they will put on labels, 
to dismiss their role in, in, in colonial society, you know? And this is why I think it's a very slippery slope from my point of view, because the moment you let that shit pass, then, you know, that's when the creation of a socialist USA versus like a settler state with a different economic, you know, system is in play. And they're like, okay, well, we're not, we're not, um, oppressors anymore now we're we're marxists but it doesn't really address the contradiction of solar colonization you know and i think that's what's dangerous about these western marxists and i think this is why juche needs to be read more even me with myself right because i feel like they're they're dogmatic you know they are not really challenging themselves and i feel like I would say 99%, 99.999, there's a lot of nines, of sellers. Even though they say they're decolonial Marxists, I still don't think they understand, you know, um, these biases. And I think it's good that they're trying, and I appreciate that, but I think we have to go to the next level because a lot of them ask me, what does it mean to... Um, what does decolonization look like? And I told them, you know, total sovereignty of the land by indigenous nations. But a lot of them still have this like, okay, we'll give the land back, but the means of production is going to be controlled by settlers. And I'm like, no. Because, yeah, because <laughs> in their on? mind, <laughs> yeah, because in them, their mind, they have this, I mean, they have this analysis that uses, uh, uses, if, if I might say it uses historical materialism, which I find to be a very limited view of social history. And so what they end up doing is, like you said, they end up taking the working class as the economic growing class and therefore the proletariat, the revolutionary class. And that will be the, the driving force of revolution. Right. Mm -hmm. And this like this very mechanical interpretation is what leads them to these very like erroneous conclusions or, or thinking like, like the wor white working class is going to be the driving force of revolution because look, it's a great big working class, right? Mm -hmm. How, how could it not? That's exactly what Marx was talking about. R read historical materialism, you know? And that's why I think like for me, one of the most important things about Juche and something again, that not only Kim Jong-il and Kim Il-sung were recognizing is that historical materialism, which, as you know, like there's we have dialectical materialism, which is the science of, you know, that the science of analysis of, of using that dialectical analysis, understanding that the world is connected and always in motion and that the in, in the grand scheme of what came first, the material came before the 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 uh, the consciousness. Right. Like. That's the basis of what dialectical materialism is. And that's the science of Marxism-Leninism. But then you have this other thing, um, this historical analysis that uses dialectical materialism. And it's what they called historical materialism, right? Mm -hmm. And what historical materialism is, is really the application of the dialectical method to social history. Now, there's, there's some serious problems with it. There's some serious limitations with that. And like, for example, one of the problems with it is that, as we know, uh, dialectical materialism is discovering the material laws, right? It's discovering those material laws of, of economic development. And as such, because it's focusing on these material, these economic laws, 
when um when it's analyzing social history what it ends up doing is focusing on the laws in materials in in the material reality which act on social history right and yes we know that those those do of course because society exists in the material world however what that overlooks is that society has particular laws of its own that are not one in the same with the material laws, right? What we can call subjective laws. And by having a new analysis of social history, one that takes a human-centered approach, which is what Juche does, it allows us to, instead of getting lost on this economic reductionism, allows us to then analyze the ideological factors, the cultural factors, right? Mm -hmm. And this allows us to understand, for example, like, you know, Marxism, one of the most famous quotes in it is, all of hitherto human history or all of human history since civilization is the history of class struggle, right? But what Juche, like the great thing about having a human-centered analysis now is it allows us to go, okay, well, something led to that emergence, right? Something had to lead to this happening. And what it was, was humanity as a, as a species struggling for their independence from all fetters, whether it's uh, natural fetters or social fetters. And through trying to struggle against these natural fetters in some places, it allowed an uneven development that then, of course, gave birth to reactionary ide ideology of this being mine and, and, and not yours. And then the people have to struggle against, have to struggle for their independence on a new facet, which is now in the social realm, right? And then you get, that's where you get the class struggle that breaks out. And that's important because we know that part of our goal with the socialist and a communist revolution is the elimination of classes, right? And human development is going to continue on even without class struggle. And it's because the masses will always be struggling for independence from the, from fetters, whether social or natural. And I just want to point out too, just uh, that it's not just uh, Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il who recognize that there's these limitations with historical materialism. And I want to read you this quote here by Huey Newton from Boston College, 1970. So Huey Newton gave this speech to Boston College. And this is uh, just an excerpt from his speech. He says, quote, the Black Panther Party is a Marxist-Leninist party because we follow the dialectical method and we also integrate theory with practice. We are not mechanical Marxists and we are not historical materialists. Some people think they are Marxists when actually they are following the thoughts of Hegel. Some people think they are Marxist-Leninists, but they refuse to be creative and are therefore tied to the past. They're tied to a rhetoric that does not apply to the present set of conditions. They are tied to a set of thoughts that approaches dogma, what we call flunkyism, unquote. Yeah, that's on point. I think that's what we uh, are dealing with today, you know? And I think that's, oh man. So, so the, you know, the, the other aspect, I think, I think what, what, dominates the West is that they paint Korea as like this backward nation, right? This crazy, like these people are brainwashed. These people are like, are just, 
you know, wacky, whatever. You know, and w- one example they do is like they'll say like, "Oh, look at North Korea. They they have a story where somebody picked up a pine cone and it turned it into a grenade." You know, and, and to me, it's one of those things that like, you know, they they, they make fun of these stories. You know, coming from the DPRK, and I I tell myself like, you know. The same people making fun of the, you know, like the folklore, like would make fun of native folklore too, you know. Like how many people they think like Bigfoot or like little people or like is like is like it's like too wild of a story. But to me, it's just like if you go to native communities, that's like real shit. You know what I'm saying? And but and that's something that compelled me to defend DPRK. Yeah, and, but you know, by but you know, by turning this around, they want me to believe that some dude walked on water, and like you know, all these Christian mythologies that my my point of view, they're nonsense, right? I'm coming a Christian, right? And but they want me to believe their stories, but you're over here making fun of ours and other people, not just you know DPRK stories, Korean cultural stories, like cultural stories globally. They just look look down on them, and to me, it's just like. You know, they, they think that they, they're like, oh, these people don't have democracy. And yesterday on your stream, you showed that they do have democracy. Do you want to talk about that? They, I mean, they have a more robust democracy than anything the West has. And, and the way, the, I think the way that, honestly, the way Western Marxists can make fun of DPRK and feel good about it is the fact that it is it is um, under the threat of extreme sanctions and embargoes and all this other stuff. And so, yeah, of course, this technological, its economic revolution is not at the same stage as like China, for example, right? And this kind of allows them, this really like gets their Orientalism going, right? They see that DPRK is, is developing its economy um, however it can, in, despite the sanctions and stuff, and it's this small nation doing so, but, you know, because of the sanctions, its GDP is very small and therefore economically not that powerful. And so this this is what, like, lets them do that while at the same time they'll be defending, they'll, they have no problem defending China. Although I will say they, by that same token, they tend to define, defend China for the wrong reasons. Uh, by that, I mean focusing entirely on its economic achievements and ignoring its anti-colonial struggles and its achievements that it's carried out, right? Um, TPRK, as far as it being a democracy, I mean, it's really like, it's funny to me. Like I just said, something that got me defending Korea was like you're saying that slander against it which i see employed against first nations all the time right and what i see like with dprk is it's like this indigenous government that's building a socialist society which i say like socialism the building of socialism necessitates um certain traditional forms of organization that you know were a feature of many like first nation societies like my own Mi'kmaq society like democratic centralism and, and stuff like this is something that is very similar to organizational rules that we had within the wabanaki confederacy right and i see dprk is like they're they putting this into practice and and lenin described it himself as restoring uh what he called like the the primitive democracy right which is 
the democracy before the cleavage of classes. And and yeah, yeah, what DPRK, you see this being put into practice. And it's much the same in Cuba and elsewhere, where what you have is a party, the Workers' Party of Korea, which is entirely independent of all state organs. So being elected to the, the party leadership doesn't mean that you're going to be serving on any state organ. And it's not like people go to the, the polls and they vote for this or that party, and that party takes direct hold of the state organs. No, they directly nominate and vote for their own representatives, right? Who then go, and, and they could be in the in that party, they could be in another party, or they could be an independent, just a local that somebody has nominated. And they all serve on the same state organs and they all have the same say in whatever they are dealing with. If it's the Supreme People's Assembly, that's the highest legislative organ. So they're, those are the people that can even appoint someone like Kim Jong-un to his position as marshal of the military. You know, the, and the Supreme People's Assembly is made up of a group of workers, farmers, and intellectuals who serve a five-year term. They're the ones who elect the head of the Supreme Judge, the head of the military, so on and so forth, right? But then I would go, I'd just remind people that even further than this, within all of these other state organs, like the cabinet itself, every state organ and every non-state organ in DPRK is by law arranged through democratic centralism. So even within the party itself, every member in a certain committee has one vote on matters and the majority vote has to be accepted by all. And, and the reason why DPRK or the reason why, sorry, w, WPK, the Workers' Party of Korea, is so popular these days is because it's been 70 fucking 75 years of them basically correctly reflecting the people's demands and interests and passing policies that are relevant to this and that people can understand and that people are asking for. So, you know, you can imagine that after 75 years of that, you get this solid unity. And people in the West absolutely can't understand that, right? I think a lot of First Nations people can better understand that because we have we have stories, we have memories of a time when we did trust leaders like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it even goes with China. Like, I'm starting to see, you know, the party reputation or the party, you know, within amongst its own people growing. I saw an article about that. And I was like, yeah, man, I mean, they're obviously addressing internal issues, you know, better, you know, and being yeah, around. And, and with China, you have this long period of, of what we call the NEP, right? Because people have to realize that when you're when once you achieve a socialist society, it's not you can't just like go by force and force every single every single like nation to go along and follow the party policy. That's the incorrect way. And what you end up doing then is a national chauvinism, right? You end up doing uh, something that is harmful to other nations. Like with China, you have this multinational country. So what has to happen is it has to develop its revolution and it has to develop the socialist system. But at the same time, it has to respect the independent and the, the right to independent development of all these other nations within China, many of them not ready to go, OK, I'm going to I'm going to follow along with your socialist system entirely. Right. Many, many of them not ready for that right away. 
And it took many years of China and the socialist system itself proving that it's correct for these other places to then more closely unite behind its communist party. And like something that Mao and, and, and Deng Xiaoping always fought against was this idea that the party should force other people to follow its lines, right? Rather mm -hmm. than correctly building the socialist system and all these other these other um, nations within China, many of whom, by the way, were not only victims of, of Western imperialism, but also they, there was uh, Han chauvinism in the past as well, which I don't talk about a lot because that's an internal issue, right? Yeah. And one that is being solved through the mechanisms I'm just talking about. And I would say that as you see more and more of these nations draw closer and more of the masses draw closer to the Communist Party line itself, you will notice that deep, that China will come to resemble in, in some ways of its political organization, the way the people's attitude is toward leaders and stuff. I would mm -hmm. say you'll come to see something that resembles more like like DPRK, for example. Yeah, because DPRK is like what Juchi shows us is that the the inherent development of socialism, right? Like the, the, the way that socialism develops. And, and some things are particular to a certain area and other things are a broad thing. And like, I think the way leadership develops is something that is, that is something that you'll see in every single socialist society. You've seen it in Cuba with the people rallying around Fidel and Che and, and these people with, um, with USSR, you saw it, you know, with their particular leaders. And it, it's not that these leaders were great men who stood above society. It's that they were literally brought to the fore by the masses, right? They were, and, and the reason why they stayed as leaders is because they were correctly reflecting the masses demand and able to like encourage this enthusiasm. But end of, at the end of the day, all of everything they did came from the masses, right? They, the masses were their teachers. And that's why you have this like love for the leader and the people like you see in Cuba and stuff like that, that Westerners just simply cannot understand. And they look at it with DPRK and go, oh, that's weird. Cult of personality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to go back. You said something about like uh, you, you in your point of view, DPRK is an indigenous government, which I agree. Right. And that the West can't comprehend forms of government and i almost say it's very similar to indigenous you brought up your own community i i visited communities where they talked about their governmental style native communities here in the u.s uh and some of them have lifetime i keep bringing this up lifetime roles right like they get they get elected for life you know and if you if you said this within the west they'll be like oh that person's a dictator well, that person's actually I was going to touch on this, too, you know, because, first of all, we can I, I can assure you that DPRK is not hereditary succession. OK, mm -hmm. I just want to like get that right of the right out of the open right now. Every leader to DPRK was elected um, if they served on a state organ, they were elected by the Supreme People's Assembly. So we'll just get that right out of the way first. There's no hereditary succession. OK, mm -hmm. but no, I, what no. I will say. I what I will that. say, though, yeah. <laughs> is that if there was a form of hereditary succession that still allowed for the same type of recall and the people state to be the, the actual leadership of society, I don't see any fucking problem with that. Like, if I'm being real, because the, the thing about it is, as long as those people are accountable, 
and they're doing their job. And, you know, if, if they're the leader of the DPRK, their job is to be the leader of the Workers' Party career or the DPRK. If they're not doing that job, they will be recalled and somebody new will replace them, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, like, very similar to a, a lot of a lot of Mi'kmaq areas had what we call hereditary chiefs, where the the leader would be uh, chosen and they would be the leader until they die. And then you know what? Their their sons or their daughters would then take the leadership position, right? And and that would continue. And the but the moment that one of their one of these people are not fulfilling their job as leader, they would be they would be gotten rid of, they would be cast out of the leadership and the people would choose a new leader. And then it would continue as them as the new hereditary leadership. Yeah. So as as I was trying to say, I agree with you, you know, thank you for that. uh, Is that Western style democracy is not always the best bet. You know, it's not even the best bet at all. Right. I think, and then the West uses that as an excuse to, um, invade people, you know, invade, oh, that, that, that country is a, uh, you know, dictatorship, or that country is, you know, blah, 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 not a Western democracy. We're going to free those people. But really, they have, you know, ulterior motives about why they're bombing or invading, you know, um, those countries, which is ironic because at the same time, you know, pre, you know, 90s and 80s, the U.S., uh, funded or backed a lot of dictatorships in Latin America. So it's like, you know, what the fuck are you talking about, you know, to the to the US government. But I think that's what something that people don't understand is I always tell people like Western democracy is 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 used for colonization, you know, with capitalism itself. It's not just, you know, capitalism by itself, like, oh, we're gonna bring capitalism. No, it it, it needs Western democracy to thrive. Right. So, um, yeah. And actually, we can bring this back to something I, I just said not that long ago, you know, something interesting um, uh, about that is is like like we're just saying about leaders, like the the way that they the way that the people like actually have a say in who their leader is. Right. The people actually have a concrete say in who their leader is and the ability to recall their leader in that type of situation. I would argue that um, it's more democratic, if you will, for lack of a better way to phrase that. Um, it's more democratic for the the leader to have the ability to serve for a lifetime rather than this limited term. And what I was just saying about you know China as its socialist uh, society consolidates and develops, I think you would see a lot of resemblances to DPRK. Well, here's a good example right here. Do you remember when uh, it was actually Xi, uh, Xi Jinping where they it was under Xi Jinping well, where they actually got rid of term limits on the leader of, of the Communist Party of China? And everybody flipped out when that happened and said, oh, that, yeah, it's making him a dictator, right? Like for now he's going to be a dictator. And I think really, in reality, what is an expression of is like, now the people's state is so much more more um, powerful that now they, you know, the people had the right to recall this is enshrined now. Now there's no need to have this liberal concession to fucking term limits of how long a leader should serve, right? Which mm-hmm. is, is really, if you think about it, undemocratic. 
just like I would argue it's undemocratic for some sort of entity to tell the people of a society that they can't elect the members of the same family because they're the members of the same family or something, you know, what, who, what entity has the right to say that over the people who collectively now can organize their own society? I, I used to think it's ironic that um, they're saying that he's a dictator for removing term limits, but yet like we have like U.S. senators that have been serving for like 30, 40 years, and they can't even make a decision without somebody pushing their a wheelchair, you know, like talking to their ear because they can't hear shit. You know, who was it that that turtle looking dude, uh, Schumer or something like that? Was it that he was like standing there like glossy eyed because he, he was so old? Oh. <laughs> Well, with Mitch McConnell or oh, something. Oh, Mitch McConnell, right? yeah, sorry. <laughs> they all look the same to me. <laughs> yeah, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? Like, how is this dude, how how are you, like, not in that, you know, his, you know, estate and not be like, yo, this dude needs to go. Like, even in your own party, like, yo, stop. Stop already, you know? Um Oh, but if you say that, then you're being ageist or something. You see, no man. Even like Joe Biden. Now everybody, Republicans talk about like, oh, you know, like oh, he's a go, but then they don't say shit about Mitch McConnell. You know, so it's like what? But that's a totally different conversation. But I, I, I agree. I mean, but we know that the West is full of hypocrisies too. So we can, you know, obviously they pick and choose their talking points. You know, so I, so. My question next is whether you recommend like which uh books or writings do you recommend for people to start with? I mean, really there's there's one compilation out there that's called On the Juche Philosophy. And um if you go to I'm I'm just trying to find it here. If you go to Korean there's like a publication, there's a book or sorry, a website where you can go and get free publications from DPRK. This is the site I recommend people use rather than Marxist.com or something when they're looking for DPRK books. So the website you can go to is www.korean-books.com.kp. And then um, you'll see at the top, you can change it to English. And I recommend people start with uh, one that is called, it's by Kim Jong-il, and it's called On the Juche Philosophy, which is a compilation of a few works, all very short. And like, I would say really, you know, if you're being honest with yourself and you're being honest with what you're reading, that should give you like the grasp of Juche that you would need to then, you know, understand better Marxist-Leninist works and be able to like start coming up with a theory relevant to your own conditions, you know? And anything else you read on top of that is is a good little bonus. There's a couple other ones too that I would recommend. Like, um, I do recommend that if people do um, if people can find, uh, what is it called? Fundamentals of revolutionary party building. That's Kim Jong-il's work for analyzing the reasons for overthrow or dissolution of the USSR, which is a really good work. It goes into a lot of what I'm talking about. 
the failure to recognize ideology and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And then there's an, another one called um, focusing on or putting the priority on ideolo ideological education is uh, paramount to achieving socialism. But yeah, first I'll, I'll... start with on the Juche philosophy. Thank you. Yeah, I feel kind of demo. I was talking to you earlier and I was muted. <laughs> but um, so I have a question and kind of kind of goes back to a conversation we had earlier and um but it kind of goes with juche right mm -hmm. so do you feel like sellers are too like obsessed obsessed is not a good word but maybe yeah maybe it is with proletarianisms like they're so obsessed about being a proletarian that they lost their relationships like if that's how you think human re relationships are to me it's just like weird because i i don't see how you know we're going to have decolonization but focus our or human interactions based just on proletarianisms you know like that's not absolutely how we... and and yeah this is i actually just pulled up a quote you're reading about that immediately made me think of this uh quote by kim jong-il that i just i'll read you right quick i think you'll you'll find it's it's uh, speaking to exactly what you're talking about here. So he says, uh, quote, the question of the main force of the revolution cannot remain invariable in any era, society or revolution. Nor is it a question that can be solved only on the basis of class relations. Mm. Hence, regarding the working class as the main force of the revolution anytime and anywhere is an expression of a dogmatic viewpoint toward the preceding theories and is not correct in principle either. Where's that from? Uh, uh, that's from the ideal. I can't, I'm looking for the name of it. That's for the one from the one that says for giving priority to ideological work is essential for accomplishing socialism. That's where that one's from. Okay. Let me write this down. Yeah, so I think I had a conversation with, with Derek last night about this, and I was like, yo, I think the settlers are too obsessed with proletarianisms. Like, I understand that capitalism is a contradiction, we should address it, right? But, like, to say that they're liberated, you know, when they are, you know, communist revolution, I'm like, that doesn't really address, like, cultural relationships with another, like, how can you say you want to have a proletarian culture? That doesn't even make sense to me, you know, like, uh, yeah and 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 not even that we can we can even we can even like bring it down to their own level right mm -hmm. like what makes what makes a person a proletarian right is it simply that they're in the working class and then therefore they're that automatically makes them revolutionarily conscious of their conditions and their interests and does that make them automatically that kind of proletariat mm -hmm. no right their the class origin doesn't and and even people from we know from history, even people from unfavorable class positions can uh, become revolutionaries, right? So, you know, there's there's something going on there more complex with humans than just them being a perfect reflection of their class origin. And yeah. as we know, there's other things weighing on them, like colonization, right? Yeah. Like racism. <laughs> These other factors are are also weighing on them as well. And all, all humanity, like the, what makes a proletarian a proletarian and what 
everything that human humanity does this is what juche says is that humanity does all of their actions through our consciousness right so we can never be a perfect reflection of whatever our class position is it's always done through our consciousness and so what you have with people of course is they're them being a proletariat yes influences their consciousness so does the education they're receiving from the bourgeois state or from mainstream media so does if they are then um a person who lives threatened under colonial system right that that then further informs that and then they the teachings from their elders and so on and so forth and so what you would have in the west here is i would say what would traditionally in classical Marxist terms be considered the lumpen proletariat or mm -hmm. even the petite bourgeois in terms speaking of small business owners here. If you're talking in First Nations communities, I would say many of them end up having a more proletarian, more revolutionary, that is, ideology than the white working class as a monolith, right? Mm -hmm. Where, where many of them are so violently for colonialism that they are actually even against their own class interests as a proletariat, as a result, or as a working class person. I tend to like to use, and, and as a result of what I'm saying, I tend to like to use like Sakai's method of, of oh, no. describing what proletariat is. <laughs> Not Sakai. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do though. No, I, I I agree with you. I'm saying that because you know Pat talks will, will probably listen and be like, oh no, there's a Kaiist. And it's like, shut yeah. Yeah. And that's why I adopted all the more readily, right? Like the 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 more the more angry it gets them, I think the better it is, right? Because then it's like that to me, oh, that's yeah. clearly delineating our position, right? And yeah. that's clearly showing their position as well at the same time. So I think it's it's a good thing when we do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so Sakai he defines proletariat not just as being synonymous with the with the working class, but he defines it as someone who is revolutionary, right? The 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 person who is part of the revolutionary class because they have revolutionary ideology, and I think that that is what has to be the main criteria of what the ma main force of revolution is not what mm. class origin they have but what revel what ideology they have do they have a reactionary settler colonial ideology or they do they have revolutionary anti-colonial ideology all right yeah. mm -hmm. and that's what we have to judge our criteria on of what is in that the main factor of what is in the main van of the working movement and mm -hmm. i think as a result of that it's not going to be the working class as a monolith or something like this. Uh, it's it's going to be the revolutionary army. Mm -hmm. And I, I argue that the revolutionary army is already forming on the front lines now, fighting against racism, fighting against settler colonialism. Mm -hmm. And our struggle to unite these things into a single political force is the forming of that re revolutionary army, right? I think this is why also the West is co-opting these things. So they don't get as as you know uh, as united because that's what they try to do with Palestine. They're trying to be like, oh, people LGBT people in Palestine are oppressed. Don't support Palestine, right? And or why you know Israeli uh, Zionists are waving you know the rainbow flag, and they're they're trying to say they're trying to co-opt it, right? Uh, these issues, and I was like, mm, you can't do that. But people are smarter than that online, obviously, you know. 
the propaganda, Western propaganda is getting worse. <laughs> it's getting so bad. <laughs> no, but sorry for. But they do, you. but they do also co-opt it with, as as you point out, revolutionary language as well. Yeah, they do, and they try to do with with. Uh, I have the episode about, uh, you know, co-opting uh, decolonial language for imperialist gains. That's not the title, but you know, I'm saying it right now. I forgot the title. Right now, I took too much melatonin last night, so I'm kind of brain dead. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm still. Yeah, I, I stayed up all night and smoked a bunch of weed. I was all excited. <laughs> so. No, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> but um. It was one of those things that, um, you know, like what they do with Russia, like decolonize Russia. After the Ukraine thing, it was like decolonize Russia. Like the, I, I posted those Atlantic articles where it was like decolonize Russia, and then the other article from the Atlantic, the same fucking newspaper was like decolonization, you know, the rhetoric is dangerous, whatever it says. It's like, what the fuck, right? It's, it's the same thing with China, like, uh, you know, like China is to be, you know, decolonize yeah. China. And, and, oh, and, you know and what's Hong funny Kong, about that that just hit me? It's almost like the co-op decolonization to literally mean balkanization. Yeah, it is. So what is it? That's what they're doing. Actually, they're trying to break apart, you know, country. And they'll, they'll, they'll talk about like, oh, it, Israel it, or the real indigenous. They're decolonizing, you know. And I talked about this last night in the space. It was like they're decolonized. They already have state power. Like the Palestinians don't have state power like the, the, the Zionists do. So what else are they decolonizing? The next step they're doing is genocide, and they're using the colonial uh, rhetoric terminology to justify just ge uh, genocide, right? And I think this is what the West does: is co-opt our terminology, and people that are are like really weak in theory, right? They they get fooled. They get fooled really easily, and they're like, "Oh no, decolonial theory is Fed shit." This is why I was called the Fed because uh, I was. They were like, "Oh, you took talk too much about solar colonization." I'm like, no, you don't understand decolonial theory, and you're calling it Fed shit, and that's dangerous, right? And if you're like, just like uh, you said, the Soviet Union was weak on their on their stances, and this is why they fell apart. You know, I mean, people might come on our shit, you know, comments like, "Oh, Shane was wrong," but whatever, whatever, right? My point of view is, oh, what I'm trying to say is. If you don't understand decolonial theory, decolonial voices, the history, your theory is going to be weak and it's not going to be able to move forward. And this is why I keep harping over and over and over again about understanding uh, decolonial theory properly, not just in the US, but globally, right? And stop being yeah. dogmatics about it. And I think this is where Juche comes in. It's like, that's like next level shit. Like they, they cross to the next fucking plane of like ideology you know and i'm like holy shit we need this we need to follow not to say we need to copy and paste what, what they're doing in, in dprk no but like say hey we can do the same thing on our own you know what i'm saying we can do the same thing uh like you know methods that we they did and create our own next level theory i think it's overdue absolutely like, and i would say i would i would say you know that you if you're if you're doing anything other than that you're you're not actually applying juche you're you're yeah. applying flunkyism yeah so i think i exactly and i think i have a question for you because i really do feel like going back to my last question about proletarianism do you feel that the settler biases colonial biases that settlers have about their subception with proletarianisms leads them to become pat socks 
unknowingly. I mean, yeah, yeah. I I do think honestly, yeah. I was gonna say this. I I was actually gonna add this in with my last sentence, but yeah, I think that that is a a line that they end up falling into because of that, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's this is what's so interesting about Juche to me. It's like part of Juche is is like I was saying, it critiques Marxism, Leninism, and therefore as a result, it also critiques like these misinterpretations of it, right? And so when people like like when they're doing this thing, it's it's very funny to me because you can really look at Juche and it will say like make sure you don't do that, right? Or else you will fall into a mechanical, flunkiest, dogmatic understanding. And then you look at the Pat Sox and they've done exactly that. And that's how they got into this position, you know, that like they literally did the thing that that Juche tells you not to do. <laughs> don't do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> the reason no, I... though, and, and the reason they do that, right, is I think like we were saying before, Korea is this, it's it's small nation, right? It And to me, as a Mi'kmaq person, that's part of why it's so inspiring. It, it's like the most, to me, it's mo- it, I'm not, it, to me, it's the most advanced socialist state. Socialism is a transitionary state. And I think it is the most advanced example currently existing uh, of a socialist state right now. Right. And I've, to me, that's so inspiring because it's also a small country cut into occupied by imperialism, you know, so like, that's an incredible fucking thing. Yeah. So that's why it's all the more inspiring to me, right? And and I think it comes from, again, like these people that they will read Juche and it'll be like, some of them read things like Juche or anti-decolonial work and, and they'll see these, these things said in there and these critiques of Marxism, Leninism or whatever else. And they'll go, oh, well, that has to be wrong then. It's criticizing Marxism, Leninism. It, it's got to be wrong, right? And then they'll, so then they'll try to do exactly the opposite. And because Juche really like, it's like, it's a guy for like how to do revolution right. Well, what do you think you're going to end up with if you're actively trying to do the opposite of these decolonial thinkers, right? Yeah. <laughs> of yeah. course, you're going to end up with reactionary opportunistic dogmatism, right? Like mm-hmm. there's no other way to go. You know, and it, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist because there's, you know, people talk about like Hinkle having ties to whatever the fuck, and there's the LaRouche people. But I really do feel like uh, the West, whether it's LaRouche or like, you know, government agencies or the US government, like they prey on this weakness of settlers not knowing, understanding these things. So what they do, like we talked earlier, they will like, make DPRK look like a wacky nation when they're far more advanced. You have to, it's the same thing with me. Abusers always paint the people they abuse as like fucked up. You know what I'm saying? So- Yeah, and, and, and the I more, think I, I, I think is an automatic reaction too. The more ideologically threatened as a nation or a place makes the US imperialist interests, the more naturally it is against them and has to mm-hmm, discredit exactly. them, right? Yeah. So I think and, I think go ahead, sorry. And and I, I think again, like DPRK being, as I just said, the most advanced example of a socialist state is why it is the most demonized and the most vilified and the most cartoonishly depicted. Yeah. So I think I think, you know, because there's there's that one video of that journal where he was like, I read Lenin, I read Marx, I read Stalin, you know, whatever the fuck. And it's just like everybody's like, look, they they are reading our theory. I'm like, no shit. 
<laughs> like they obviously have to study us, you know, to understand our weaknesses. I think that's the weakness part. It's like, uh, you know, I do think there are uh, ops out there that are distorting um, Marxism and revolutionary thoughts, you know, and and I think it, it's, I'm not saying, I'm, I don't even know if Midwestern Marx is connected to anybody or whatever the fuck, but I think if they're not connected to anybody, they're, they're not an op, they're doing so willingly, right? They're, they're purposely doing it. They wrote a book about purposely, you know, purity fetish, all this stuff, when all that does is, you know, silence the colonial critique, you know, and push this colonial biases, you know? Well, I mean, I, because they're, they they haven't really critiqued purity fetish, have they? So I think, yeah. So I think, I think that's what's what's fucking dangerous about about these motherfuckers is that they think they're doing good, and they think they're on the right side, but they're doing a fuck ton of damage, right? And it comes, and this comes like at a moment. So here's here's my 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 theory too, my observation. I've been doing this since late nineties, early two thousand, right? That's um, there, there's, there always has been people with colonial biases. I talk about this on the podcast, right? Like I, I went to organizations and they had like, you know, they were saying stuff like, uh, you know, indigenous sovereignty is Hitlerism, which is asking that we, you know, we can talk about that later, but, um, you know, in person, I, I've seen this in person, you know, but after the Bernie, uh, movement happened, a lot more young people were, were, um, interested in socialism, even though it was like the quote-unquote Nordic model, right? But after that, I saw that a lot of the people that were interested or they were like political newbies, right, within the Bernie Sanders movement, they just broke apart to different factions. Some of them became like actual Marxist. Some of them became like anarchists. Some of them became like MAGA people. Some of them became like the LaRouche, you know, uh, revisionist, <laughs> white supremacist, uh, quote unquote Marxist. You don't, I don't consider them Marxist. They're fucking fascist, right? I'm calling them Marxist. They're fucking fascist. So almost like what happened here. I really do think the government had to scramble to put people on the ground to distort what Marxism is, revolutionary thought is, right? Yeah, because, absolutely. And yeah. and I mean, and you know, they don't even like. This is the thing people like think what they think that there's then you know just an army of agents everywhere but they only really need to set one group off and then let it run right let it yeah. go yeah. and that's the thing that's what people don't realize like there can be agents can work in the sense where they they pay off or do whatever this one person to disrupt something and that person might not even be there anymore right like they mm -hmm. could be long gone but this this then they're the this uh thing that they pushed hangs on for a very long time right yeah so I, I think that's that's what's uh actually made the movement go backwards and i'm not trying to say that the bernie sanders movement was revolutionary because it was fucking bernie sanders is a piece of shit my point of view right but i think it did lead people to be curious about socialism right and for and if if that distortion wasn't there we would have been far more advanced, right? Uh, than we are now. Now we have to, as like me, you, all, everybody that's quote unquote the decolonial Marxist, quote unquote, de, you know, decolonization, decolonial theory person, now has to do 
damage control. We're doing damage control. That's what I'm doing online, it's damage control, right? Because just like yesterday, somebody said that decolonization is race war. I'm like, what? It's a, this is a, we had this conversation years ago. Okay, like come back. <laughs> Welcome to like 2018. You know, so it's one of those things that is like uh, it's 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 damage control, and I think uh, we're doing damage control because nobody has created a, a complete theory yet. And I'll be honest with you, there's no complete what this decolonization look like um, on this continent, and <clears throat> this is why I did the whole. Um, the indigenous Senate with one representative from each indigenous nation, right? As in the decolonial Senate with members of uh, uh, New Africa in there too, you know? I, because people weren't, weren't imagining what, what, what liberation looks like, right? They were talking about proletarian this and proletarian that. And I was like, you know, if we don't, we can't imagine how we get there, how the fuck are we going to get there? It's just, it's just a bunch of revisionist, like scrambling around, you know, and it's fucking problematic. And even even the the Marxists that do agree with decolonization, they only say land back as a slogan, but even they don't know what decolonization looks like, right? So I think we now yeah, have yeah. to do damage control and guide settlers to the the vision of what the liberation decolonization is, you know. And I think I, I is- think something that maybe the bourgeoisie has realized and that that. Uh, Juche teaches us and that Western Marxists still haven't figured out is again like the the primary the primary thing as I said earlier is uh, revolutionary ideology right what the revolutionary ideology is and therefore we are in this battle for consciousness and I think of course the the ruling class absolutely knows this right and that's why all their efforts are, are directed into disrupting the movement however they can and um, this propaganda war against places like DPRK and Cuba, et cetera, right? Like all of this is an expression on them trying to maintain this. They have to fight against the unity that, you know, that we know can be achieved. And I would say that when a correct guiding ideology does emerge here, that is going to be one of the strengths of it, right? And the proof that it hasn't emerged here yet is that it hasn't been popularized yet. Yeah. And when it does emerge, I think what you will see, of course, because it correctly reflects the demands of decolonization, the people fighting against oppression, that you will find it then um, takes rapid hold and gains rapid support, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something that I think I've been scared to say publicly too, when it comes to the proletarianization, you know, because I really do feel like, oh man, they're gonna think I'm a revisionist. They're gonna think like all oh, this and that. But I, now, one thing with you, this is the first time I've said it publicly. But I was like, no, sellers have an obsession with a, being a proletariat. Like this is not a way to have human in, interaction with, you know, because my point of view, you're still treating, you know, animals, the land, the environment as like a resource rather than having actual relationships with them. Right. And I think yeah. And I mean, I mean, look at, look at Rainer Shea, not that long ago. I was going to bring him up. Yes. Go ahead. Made this comment not that long ago about, about how um, lumpen proletariat can't be revolutionary. We have to proletarianize them first, which is, I mean, it's the most asinine statement I've ever heard in my life because like, does he not realize we live, 
under a capitalist society and therefore the capitalists and the colonialists hold all the means of production and are therefore the only entity capable of proletarianizing anybody in our current conditions like you know we would need to have control of the state to be able to talk about proletarianizing anybody that makes no sense i think i think somebody like rainer i was going to bring him up for another reason is that um you know he was in a group chat with you and i right and other indigenous you know quote-unquote decolonial marxist right and he could have asked any fucking question he, he could have asked you know like we would have helped him you know and instead of like asking questions to understand what he chose to do is side with like white supremacist which like midwestern marks to attack a black historian joe horn on things that he you know rayner was wrong about you know and he didn't even we wouldn't none of us in that group chat were even aware that this was going to happen none of us Right. So when no, that came, came out of nowhere, it came really. out of nowhere. Yeah. And I told people, I think I said on your stream, I was a week before that, I was going to travel to the Bay Area to meet with Yamo and other comrades, right? To get together, talk about, you know, fucking politics, whatever. And Rainer lived right there. I was going to go actually go to Rainer's hometown just to, you know, meet up with him. And he said no. And I was like, that's fucking odd. Like, we're going to where you live. Right, and you don't want to meet us. That's kind of odd. Everybody thought that was odd. And then a week later, that article came out, and I was like, "This is why he didn't want to meet us." But you know, I was like, um, "This was was dangerous because I'm actually scared of settlers." To, you know, I mean, only the people are scared of their oppressors to a point. You know, but I think whenever they say that, when the point was just to say you're you're an ally, well, at what point do you snap and say and go the other way? Right and say, oh no, I disagree with decolonization. And Raiders are the only one, you know. Oh, that's, that this that's the thing I'm wondering about. Every single ally settler, what that I organize, not even that I organize with, that I communicate with online, even, you know, when I first, it's like even 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 online, like on Twitch, I'm constantly wondering, like, which settler is going to come out of the woodwork and attack me next? You know. Yeah, and I have that. It's been twenty years of this, and it and, and it's the same. They have the same talking points. It's like it's like the settler is my ally. Oh, they flip down they're my enemy, and they connect to the people that hate me. It's like this fucking. And they cluster. will say, they will say anything about you and make up any yes outrageous shit about yes. you that they can in order to justify like wanting yes. to isolate you and not actually yes talk to you on a personal level and, and right the, the example is rainer said that i was against lenin and against centralism but i was like motherfucker you're the one that went on haas's street right you're the one that said that he he said that he want he imagined decolonization is a balkanization of the u.s i said that's fucked up First off, why are you even going on a stream as a settler with another settler to talk about decolonization? It's not even your place, right? Like, I didn't even know he, he was planning to do, to do that either. And I was like, what What the fuck did he do? And I listened to it. I was like, come on, Rainer. And then, and then and I was like, Rainer, I believe in centralization. The, 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 the indigenous Senate is a centralized government, right? With all, with you know, that keeps indigenous sovereign nations, their sovereignty intact and, you know, and there's still a centralized uh, government, decolonial government. But I was like, why would you say that? Like, we had this conversation, 
right? Now, you know, with 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 Haas having like thousands of people following his streams at a time, like now we have a bunch of people that already had colonial bias. And they're even they have even more bias now against decolonial theory because you misspoke. You misspoke. Because you went on there and misrepresented a position yeah, as mis- a settler yeah, presenting to that represent- wasn't your place. That wasn't yeah. your place to talk about. And you misspoke. And then now, because you got corrected by native people, the same native people that you should have learned from, we told you you fucked up. Instead of saying, Oh, I fucked up, instead of saying that, you went. And, and and became more friends with white supremacists, which is fucking dangerous. Yeah, you know I'm saying I was like, "What the fuck is this?" You know, and I think that's what scares me about about seller allies is that we, that we talked about earlier. One moment they're your friends, and the moment you hurt their feelings, they become hostile towards you. And it's just like, yeah. "Whoa!" That I mean, is- you don't even have to hurt their feelings; you just have to be a threat to them existing in some way, right? Yeah when i the funniest thing when i first started on on twitch there like i'm very new to twitch and i thought you know be why don't i try twitch and i'll actually like start talking about some fucking decolonial theory on there because i'm i i don't see any of that basically right mm-hmm. as soon as i started on there i had a particular uh streamer who started slandering myself and a whole bunch of other people and first nations international calling us pat socks Oh my god! And that doesn't, like, that doesn't make sense. The, the settler. <laughs> I'm like, what the? F-? And the funniest. The, and here's the funniest thing. Okay, the way they justified, or the way they, the way they had the evidence of of me being a patsock was because my comrade Wasiah Whitebird was elected to city council in Wisconsin as an open native communist, and. As a result of that, he was interviewed by all kinds of mainstream media, including RT at the time, who Caleb Maupin worked for. Mm. So because he got because he was interviewed by Caleb Maupin for getting elected to city council, these people assert that he's a Patsock and because I'm connected to him and a friend of his, therefore I'm also a Patsock. Oh my God. But they can make their own, their own connections to their, their position in society. Like, oh, I'm a settler in a white supremacist society. That does and I have biases. That makes me a white supremacist. They can't even do that. It's so simple. It's just the truth, too, right? And actually, what I was going to say is this same person, right? The same person doesn't bat an eye about raiding into a quote-unquote leftist who will turn around and push some free Tibet bullshit, you know? Oh, my or, God. God, right God. and it's and that's what i mean it's like so you're calling me a pat sock for my mm. friend being interviewed you know for being one of the only people in the u.s in wisconsin elected as a communist to city council right you're, you're going to call me a pat sock for that but then you're going to turn around and raid or, or support people with actual pat sock positions like free tibet that sounds fucking like, crazy And I think it just goes to show you that, like, the moment First Nations people seem like they're going to be a voice or disruptive to, like, the already comfortable, established way that the settlers have things, whatever platform it is, you can expect one of them, even even if they're a leftist, one of them are going to attack you. And yeah. I think, probably you're familiar with this probably in your own experience. I think oh, dude, yeah, almost every First Nations people I talk to are. No matter, it doesn't matter what platform you go on, you're going to get attacked. And it's going to be the most well-meaning, the most liked settler you've ever imagined. I think even with with native people that have colonial biases as well, right? Like if if you have like a, a native person that's like 
loves the U.S. and loves new nationalism, or even like they, they claim to be revolutionary, but they don't. They haven't read basic <laughs> Mao or Lenin literature. They, you know, they will have biases, right? And this led me to be like, "Oh, you motherfuckers are wrong." Like, and sometimes, you know, that's what's hard about, you know. I think that's what's wrong with the this uh u.s culture is like people don't want, want to be told they're wrong you know oh they're, they're like they're, they're having shitty behavior it's like they want to be right all the time and it, and it fits into their ego so when you tell like quote-unquote comrades that you're fucking up or you're wrong about this the, the response shouldn't be like i don't give a fuck or whatever or getting angry it should be like oh how can i correct this behavior and i think that's where you know rainer fucked up on and he's very passive aggressive. He'll just ignore. And the thing is, it's like him ignoring the colonial voices shows that he's fucking scared. Same thing with Eddie from Midwestern Mark. He made that video about me saying that I want to ship all Europeans back to Europe. And I said, no, that's wrong. Because if you read the comment I wrote, I said, I want to ship him, <laughs> specifically him back to Europe. And I think in the conversation, we should be able to ship white supremacists back to Europe. I mean, like, why, why the fuck will we keep those people here? Why? So they distort the revolutionary mo movement? No, they should be shipped. I mean, Castro did it, right? I mean, they made a whole fucking movie called Scarface about that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, so I mean, you know, go ahead. I think I think what you see, like, I think I said this yesterday, is like what you'd see anyway is any kind of real concrete decolonial movement that breaks out you're going to see most of the settlers that are actual reactionary uh, pretending to be lefted, leftists running for Europe anyway. No, but people say that, but you, I think people really, and have something that I've learned is you can never underestimate settlers. Some of them are like diehard motherfuckers and they will stay and they will fight for oppression. Right. And I think that's the motherfuckers I'm talking about, you know, and because, you know, some of these people like, the Mormon religion was is founded on Zionism, you know. We, the whole country, the whole American nationalism is founded on American Zionism, you know, that their God gave them that, you know, the permission to fucking colonize, but especially people like the Mormons. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, Zionism and uh fascism, all of that is really just like a an oat out cropping or oats a fourth springing of uh of like manifest destiny, or I guess even before that doctrine of discovery, right? Yeah, manifest destiny is Zionism. So yeah, it, it's 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 a form of it. So I think uh, I know I know the conversation switched from Juche to this, but this is part of I think realizing our our our, our, our um, hardships with creating an ideology like like you know Juche, it, you know, on this continent because we have to, like I said earlier, do damage control always doing damage control you know and i mean all of our 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 theory again will have to take like all, what we're saying here into account like for example the fact that the white working class as a monolith isn't the revolutionary motive force so you're in you're going to have to look for the vanguard elsewhere in your theory for here yeah. and i think that's what that's what hurts the settlers the most is that's why actually hinkle you know uh Malpin, you know, Midwestern Marx and Rainer or they turn into Passocks because the moment you tell them the white working class is not the revolutionary class, they 
excuse me, I'm burping. Their 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 um their feelings are just like, how dare you? Like I have to be a savior. And it's just like they get aggressive about it. And I think this is why, you know, they obviously going back to you know, Duce, like they don't apply real theory in, into all the historical aspects or the contradictions properly. You know, the main, the, the principal contradiction, the main contradiction on this continent, they think everything's capitalist, they think everything's proletarianisms, you know, and it's like, um, you know, like uh, relationships within our native communities are, it's not based on proletarianisms, you know what I'm saying? It's based on our own community uh, cultures and stuff like that. So I don't see how Native people are going to mold our cultures into fitting proletarianisms. I, I actually refuse it, right? Because we shouldn't. I don't. I think that that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, but I I, I feel like th that's what they're they're trying to do because they're like uh, a lot of I don't know if you ever heard Sailor say this that they're that a new proletariat uh, culture will come up. Uh, after the revolution, I mean, what the fuck does that even mean? You know, it's just to me the same thing when people say proletariat feminism. I'm like, why would you base your feminism about around proletarianisms? Like, it's what the fuck? <laughs> why why wouldn't it be? You know, like indigenous feminism sounds a lot more better than 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 that. You know, because obviously yeah. we're, we're going to our traditional, you know, or even we're challenging, you know, fucked up norms in our traditions, but at the same time going going, you know. Uh, or decolonizing, you know, by, by removing the uh, colonial aspects within our uh, communities. But proletarianisms, like, why are you centering your, your guys' lives around that? And I, I'm not, I'm going in circles again, but it's like, how are people listening that, you know, this is something that, like, as a Native person, as, you know, like, I, I understand why, uh, what's his name? Um, God damn it. Uh, Mr. Alfred Takiyaki Alfred uh, uh, doesn't want to, to, you know, say I'm Marxist, and I agree with him, right? And 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 Glenn Colhart's, you know, uh, book um, about what well, the fuck I can't remember. Oh, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm brain dead. Uh, Redskin and white masks, right? Uh, people have told me, oh, that's oh, an cool third. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an uh, anti-communist book. No, it's not. Like we, if you see it that way, if you have a biases, you see it as um, anti-Marxist, but it's really what, not. I had someone say that to me, and I was like, "Point, point it out, point out yeah. the anti-communist part, please." Mm -hmm. I think that's. I, we read the book on stream, and I couldn't find it. Yeah, and I and I and I and I asked. Uh, somebody told me that, and I and I called an indigenous comrade, and I was like, "Yo, dude, is." Did you read that book? And he was like, Yeah. I was like, Did you think he was anti communist? And he was like, No. I was like, What the fuck are these people saying? <laughs> like, I was like, Where are they getting this? Like, it's because it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why, where people are getting this stuff. But I think this, it's, this is why I even fight back against the uh, people calling Fanon uh, a Marxist because I feel like, like some people will, will try and, and, label Fanon as a Marxist or a Marxist-Leninist in order to try and, and compel settlers to, to read him, right? When I think if you actually, like, I think Fanon himself would have argued against being called a Marxist-Leninist. Yeah. So I think I think that's, that. even though, and that, even that sentence you said there, 
how you're saying that you got to label him as a Marxist in order for Marxists to read him. And I think that's the wrong approach. And I said this on podcasts before, just because somebody's not a, they're not calling themselves a Marxist, it doesn't mean you don't get to read them. Because Fanon was addressing the contradiction of seller colonization, right? Yeah. And you don't yeah. have to be a fucking Marxist to read that and to try to understand that. You know, yeah, so I mean, you don't even have to be a Marxist to have a successful revolution anywhere. Like you have to be someone who understands your own material conditions and able to raise the revolutionary enthusiasm and consciousness of the masses. Maybe you tell a seller that they're like, oh, shit, that I don't agree with that. And it's just like, mm, no, I yeah, agree So with then you. it's like yeah. so then you're at the point where it's so you don't actually agree with Marx and Lenin. Yeah, you so just they- want to treat them like a prophet. So yeah, so the who who are the real purity fetish purists, whatever the purist, whatever the fuck that fucking term Midwestern. And there we go, and that gets to what actually what started this whole conversation was like it's them who are doing the purity fetish through this. Yeah, so it's them who are going. Is it Marxist Leninist enough? Does it meet this and this criteria that Marx and Lenin said in this period in this time? Or, or what's, you know, that seems more purity fetish to me than understanding what Marx and Lenin were saying and then creatively applying revolutionary, uh, revolutionary organizational strategies for your own conditions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what people do with me, even online or in person too. Like when they, when they hear me talk and then I talk about decolonization, they're like, they have to give me these like preemptive questions, like. And you, they, they asked me, like, can you explain to me Lenin's, Lenin's uh, theory on blah, blah, blah? Can you explain to me Marx's theory on blah, blah, blah? I'm like, why do I have to answer these fucking asinine questions for you to start listening to me? I'm not doing it. I refuse. I'm going to be like, oh, well, you know, what Lenin thought, no, fuck you. Like, are you going to hear me or not? If you don't want to hear me, then you can leave. I don't have to answer your fucking preemptive questions. Go. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. I agree. You know? So I think that's what sellers do. It's like they try to, they're the ones creating purity fetishes, not us, you know? And I think that's, it's it's like, they want us to be 100% uh, knowledgeable on their theories and their stuff when they can't even read a fucking simple book. Yeah. And I mean, it's book. not even, uh, but mo- I mean, most of the time, it's not even theirs. It's like Russia's or USSR's <laughs> or Cuba or, you know, yeah. yeah, it's like, it's not even theirs. That's the thing. Like study anything that is relevant to you. Like, it's good that you're reading Marx and Lenin and all that. Keep doing that too, I guess. But if it's getting in the way of you studying what is actually relative to you, then you got a fucking problem. You know, you're divorced yeah. from the yeah. actual situation. That's why Derek said he was like, motherfuckers should start reading Gerald Horn books first before they read Marx, <laughs> because it seems like they don't understand their own history, you know? So, I mean, you can have and the I tools. Think should, absolutely think you should. Yeah. I think only like people who already understand like this stuff are people that should read Marx and Lenin, if you ask me, because mm-hmm. what you end up with is people like you need to, I feel like you need to like go through like, a criteria or like a test you know before you're allowed in a communist party that has you studying that shit and when you do it on your own you should be looked at as as sus right like we should be very careful of that person if they haven't done this other the relevant studying you know and if they're just reading this material because it again these a lot of these solutions and stuff are limited by the time they they were they emerged 
And a lot of the solutions and the theories and stuff no longer have any relevance or have no relevance because we live in completely different conditions in settler colonialism. Yeah, I, I want to read page 28 of the Socialist Education in Korea, and I quote, to make revolution in Korea, we must know Korean history and geography and know the customs of the Korean people. Only then is it possible to educate our people in the way that suits them and to inspire in them an inherent love for their native place and their motherland, end quote. So it tells you, you have to you have to know history, right? It's a basic one-on-one fucking shit. Um, and you have to know your own history before any place else. Yeah. So if you already know uh, a whole bunch about the USSR and nothing about yours, you need to go ahead, put down the history book about the USSR right now and pick up something more relevant. Because again, you're... Like like Kim Il Sung said, first you need to understand your own history, <laughs> right? So if you're doing that backwards, now's the time to put the book down and and learn something more relevant to your own situation. Yeah, I think I think you know we had, this is a good conversation. I think people are listening that take some advice. And, I, and we kind of went on a little tangent earlier about, but I think these are the things that we deal with that. Again, I'm saying it again, that hinders real thought, political thought, real revolutionary thought, you know. So I think, yeah. yeah. And these are all things that I think Juche touches on and and mm -hmm. and touched on many years ago. Like I said, look, you're look out for this, right? And here we are. It's 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 worse than ever. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. I mean, it's, it I mean, it wasn't this bad 20 years ago when you organized in person because motherfuckers when they organized in person like if you said some dumb shit i mean i heard like i said i heard some dumb shit but like you know like um if you said some really dumb shit like people are like get the fuck out of here now people can say dumb shit with never going to an organization or never being part of our organization they're just randoms right they're saying yeah. random shit on the online and they think they're right like what like you can't say this shit in person you know, yeah. you can't say something, you can't say <clears throat> this homophobic, transphobic shit in person. You can't, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, sorry. absolutely not. I mean, who, who are you going to you're going to bring people over to your side by by doing what? Like uh, being hateful. It, it makes no it, even that attitude alone makes no sense to me. Yeah. Do you have any, anything to add before we end? I think we did pretty good. I mean, if you have anything to add, just you know, now's the time, I guess. Do you, th do you think we're good? Uh, I mean, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, I hope we, we can do it again soon, either on my channel or here again. Oh, yeah. So tell people what your channel is named uh, on YouTube, because I watch all your videos, right, on YouTube. Yeah. And... So on YouTube, I have uh, the channel. It's called Juje Gang. If you search it, mm -hmm. it, it'll be probably the first channel that comes up. And those are really good videos to explain Juche, I think. Um, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Which... I have a whole, actually, I have a whole Juche series playlist that really breaks down every principle and every aspect of the socio-historical principle of Juche and stuff to really like drive, because I've, I, the thing was when I was first studying Juche and trying to teach people about it, the same way settlers distort everything, you know? They, I kept getting these same distortions of, of them saying like, 
oh, Juche is saying animals aren't intelligent because it's saying hu humans are the only social being or something like that, or that animals don't have organizational life. So then I was compelled to make all these videos that like really delve deep into all of these particular things and say, no, well, you have to understand that with philosophy, you know, philosophies have particular philosophical definitions. And then I explained that to them and then how that pertains to the to our conditions or to the actual reality. Right. And so that's what Juche Lessons is all about on my YouTube. Yeah. And what about Twitch? So on and then on Twitch, I have a channel called uh, Leaping underscore Larry. And that's basically I mean, I did. The, I did the YouTube for a very long time. I thought, you know what? Let's get on. Uh, let's try my hand at doing a little bit of streaming. And uh, I wanted to, you know, be able to talk about Juche to people, answer questions that people might have had about Juche. Thought mm -hmm. it might be a more direct way to explain how it pertains to like anti-colonial struggle here. Um, why like uh, why DPRK is inspiring like to me as a Mi'kmaq person, so on and so forth. And then I really wanted to like start reading works and stuff that communists don't read, like Kwame Nkrumah and Gerald Horn and and uh, Glenn Sean Coulthard and others and and Juche works as well, right? And really touch on the the lesser read works like but by Che and stuff that that really describes and touches on things that um, are overlooked when you're looking at the Marxist-Leninist classics, as we called them. I do want to say, as a Marxist, you you are never done reading Marxist stuff. I think I said this comment on your on your um Twitch. I was like, it takes three lifetimes just to read Gerald Horn books, all of them, right? <laughs> it's like there's yeah. so much books, yeah. but I mean, he 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 writes them out faster than we can read them. He puts them out. You know, I was like, God damn! Like I'm barely in chapter three on this one. He has another book coming out, but right? it's a joke, right? But I think you know, but it's a good thing though. His work is like this. It yeah, it trends white supremacy, yeah. The beautiful it, thing about recommending Gerald Horn to somebody is you can you can be like, take your pick, you know, like yeah, what, exactly what is the most important aspect that he's talking about to you and start with that. I think, yeah, I think that itself, his work is like. So, I mean, I, I would say it's underrated. It is underrated, even even within Marxists. I think a lot of Marxists have never read Gerald Horn. But I think even among regular Americans, right, it's very underrated. Like, they're like, who's, who's that? And it's like, what? So. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Because, I mean, if more Americans read it, they would be thinking without dialect, thinking with dialectical materialism without even realizing they are. Yeah. So Right? I think... And that's, that's the big thing. And the reason for that is because he's not a Marxist that talks about dialectical materialism. He's one that does it. He applies it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I so agree. he's actually using a Marxist analysis to describe our current uh, events and stuff and what we're facing. Whereas if you read some modern Marxists, they're just talking about Marxism and what Marx had to say and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Gerald Horn doesn't do that so much. He 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 does he really gives like a Juche analysis. He gives the first criteria is what is going on and what's happening. And then he, of course, uses what he's studied with Marxism and and stuff to further um, inform himself and further describe what he's what he's analyzing. But the core of his analysis is the material reality itself and dialectical materialism itself. I agree.
100%. Yeah, well, you I know, think, I think Gerald Horn and and like even somebody like you know, if you want to to learn from a decolonial thinker like another one I always say I know they're not local to here but uh Wazi Lu, uh, Lushaba is a well, really yeah. Yeah, really good uh, person to listen to slash read as well. He has a lot of YouTube. You know, Derek's the one was kept saying this over and over, even on the pod on on his uh, on Twitter when he had it. Uh, you know, Lushaba, Lushaba, and I. You know, it, it, he's the one that was like, okay, let me listen to this. I was like, holy shit, this is fucking good. And yeah. I actually bought his book, Lushaba's book, and I read it, and I was yeah, I was like, yeah, dude, this dude's like next level shit. So I think so. People don't realize that, but you know, it's funny because a lot of these Pat Sox who post, we support the EFF. But if you support the EFF, you will be supporting us, me, Derek, you, you know, uh, you know, Bantam Turtle Island, uh, you know, all these people that are saying the same thing. No, no, don't you see? But you're not pure enough Marxist Leninist, and you're doing a purity fetish. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I forgot. You know, but it's just one. Of, it's one of those things that um, it's, it's it's the biggest hypocrisy. You know, it's like I was like I was gonna say earlier, like you know, the the U.S. using decolonial rhetoric for imperialist gains, but yet it's ignoring that it's itself colonizing the continent. You know, it's just hypocrisy, Western Western hypocrisy. So I think I think we did go today right now. Um, it, it, like I said. Um, we should end it right now. If it does okay yeah. with you, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, for sure, for sure. We'll have to I, we'll have to meet up and talk again soon. Either on, like I say, my streamer, yeah, would be great again sometime soon. Oh, I'll, I'll come. I'll come back on. You're actually making me interested in opening my own Twitch and do what you do. So, um, <laughs> excuse me, but I think um, we'll see what happens. I, I don't know. But well, uh, well, if if you ever don't want to do the work and you just want to come on and you want to talk, like you're always welcome. Just let me know anytime you want to come on and talk. Like, I I prefer that than you know because normally I have to sort of like get as much content as I can by myself. So anytime yeah. people want to come in and talk and I can bounce ideas off is awesome. Yeah, I think because I, I was trying to figure out how to use Discord when I came on your thing, I was like, what's going on? How do you use this fucking? <laughs> I still don't know. It's fucking scary. I'm like, I'm getting old. What the fuck's going on? But yeah, well, thank you. Uh, don't hang up. I got to talk to you. Okay, so, okay. I'm going to pause recording. That's it. All right.